The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I wanted to continue this exploration of looking at our experience in our daily lives, right in the midst of what is happening. We've been exploring just the basics of how to um, be aware, recognizing that we're aware and some of the tools that might support that. Checking in to um, having a particular uh, task or something that you commit to trying to recognize happening. Extending mindfulness a little bit through a particular chore or activity. So just some basics on how to explore being aware. Just recognizing, oh, awareness is back. (laughs) Today I'd like to get into um, an exploration more around areas that we may have difficulty in our lives. Last time I was here I talked about working with difficult stuff in the world, difficult news, things like that, and explored a kind of a reflective practice, a way to work with those things um, in a place, in a space that you are kind of setting aside to explore. But this, today I'd like to explore what it means to actually begin to meet some of our challenging patterns and habits right in the midst of our day. And our usual way of living our lives, walking through the worlds, we kind of operate out of kind of habitual tendencies, deeply conditioned patterns and habits that often are deeply rooted in our family origins, deeply rooted in our cultural conditioning, deeply rooted in what our experience has been in our lives, ways of orienting to the world. And a lot of times we respond or these habits and patterns are happening below the surface of our conscious awareness. We're not so cognizant or, or recognizing them. It's like they're in our subconscious and they we don't even know they're happening until they burst out into some kind of a reaction or something that um, we say or do that we realize, oh, that's been there. I didn't I didn't see it. And so we might think it's not so possible to touch into that because it does seem to happen so fast. It's like lightning sometimes that these things happen. But in my own exploration of this in daily life, as well as in sitting meditation, I have found that mindfulness can really begin to penetrate what we think of as a barrier to the subconscious. And so it is possible to begin to see these habits and patterns as they're forming, as they're beginning. But the way into that is to start by being curious about whenever you notice them. To be mindful of whenever you notice a particular habit or pattern there. So for myself, I've talked about this a lot because it's uh, kind of how I got into this practice. My very first 
mindfulness practice was kind of a curiosity or an interest in understanding this habit of mine to get angry. And I had a particular um, event in my life that was really triggering very strong anger to the point of rage, to the point of basically being non-functional when I got into that state. I would just get frozen and be in entwined in the mind, not aware of what was going on. And so I began to be curious to use that kind of, I, I, I didn't have many tools for working with it, but a friend of mine pointed me to mindfulness and the simple curiosity of, can you know that that's happening while it's happening? And in that, a book that my friend sent me, that curiosity about mindfulness, it also pointed to not necessarily trying to be mindful all day long, but picking some particular projects, picking some things that you might be interested in understanding or exploring. And so that's another piece of this encouragement that I, I'd like to explore with you today. Um, you know, don't try to track, I mean, everything that's happening for you all day long, necessarily. If you can get there, that's fantastic. But I found that as a, at a beginning, when we're working with daily life, it's helpful to choose some specific things that you're really interested in understanding, really interested in. So in the, in the course of my practice over the last, I don't even know how many years now, 20 some, 20, 22, 23 years, something like that. No, it's more than that. It's like we're like 25, 26 years at this point. Um, over those years, I've explored a lot of things that I found I've, I've had interest in exploring. Anger was the first one. Anger was the first one. And, and even in that, you know, I, I started with it in daily life because I didn't have experience or instructions about meditation, and I wasn't particularly interested in sitting in quiet with my eyes closed. I wanted to understand how my mind worked in daily life, and so I was exploring this in daily life. And over the course of the, the number of years, there have been a number of things that I've explored, things that I've been curious about. Why, why do I feel lonely all the time? Why do I get impatient? What's going on there? So that curiosity of of that particular pattern. So that's a, in terms of exploring something that happens, I'd suggest something that happens regularly that you're really interested in exploring. You don't necessarily have to pick the most intense thing, although that's what I did when I started before I even knew what mindfulness was really, what I knew how to meditate. It's like, well, I want to understand anger because that's where I am like really suffering. So there was a lot of motivation there. And there was a lot of interest with this book that said, it's possible. And by the way, it really helps. And my friend who also said, yes, it's possible. And I found it really helpful. So I used those kind of encouragements to uh, inspire me. I was really interested. I had some evidence from friends and reading that, that it was possible. And so I was willing. I was willing to try it. And so for myself in this exploration over the number of years, I've kind of weaned or pulled out how I did this, you know, kind of talk, I'm going to talk a little bit about ways that this unfolded for me 
in various, you know, different kinds of patterns and habits. So the first piece I think that I really want to emphasize is picking something that you're interested in and just kind of setting that intention to, I want to know when this happens. That's essentially what I did. I want to know when anger happens. Or later in my practice when I started looking at impatience. I just want to see when impatience happens. I want to know it when it when it arises. And then seeing if I could be aware what was obvious. Just the most basic, how am I? And that's why in the guided meditation I offered that kind of exploration, just the exploration about how you are in an emotional field. Some of that um, exploration in the guided meditation might be a way in to checking in. When you notice a pattern or habit there, how am I? You might notice some of how the body is, you know, some of the more specific sensations. Wow, my, my fists are clenched, my face is tight, my throat is tight, my stomach is clenched. Or uh, for myself in impatience, I noticed that I was just right, kind of like bouncing off the walls, just like my, my, um, my physical actions were kind of erratic, not very smooth. So I just, just noticed kind of some of the specific, we can kind of notice some of the specific body experience. And then I really want to point to that broader sense the more the, the broader sense of how, how the whole thing feels. How are you in that vague, diffuse way? That takes that can take some practice or some time. And for myself, that is is a you know something I've learned over the last, I don't know, 10 years or so of my practice, that skill. I didn't hear people talking about it so much uh, in my um in, in getting instructions. And so what I started with, really, was just a very simple kind of high-level take on how am I? And, uh, you know, it was, it was kind of at the level of, wow, this hurts. This is painful. You know, that, that's kind of the, the flavor of what I was aware of, especially with the anger. You know, with the anger, I was, you know, it was kind of like I was in a kind of a rage when I first noticed it. It had, it, it wasn't like I was noticing it early in the process when I first started noticing it. Yeah, it was in a full-blown rage. I was frozen. And what I could notice was that there was a rage. The mind was kind of stuck, caught, and it hurt. That's about all I could really know. And so this points to the next piece that I want to point to. So, you know, notice, you know, kind of commit to recognizing a habit or pattern, something you're interested in, and then noticing when you notice it. It may be well into the process, like it was for me with that first time I really noticed the anger, well into the building up of that anger to a rage or it might be earlier in the process, or wherever you notice it. This is how I am right now. And then the next piece in terms of daily life. If you have a few moments when you notice it, it's great to do a little bit of exploration, you know, curiosity about how is the body, you know, what, um, 
Can you name the emotions that are there? Can you uh, notice this diffuse or broad quality of experience? If there is time in your um, day in that moment, then take some time, you know, maybe two or three minutes to, to kind of check in with a little bit more investigation about the experience. But often I find I'm in the midst of something that is requiring my attention or it's something... Um, you know, that, that I don't quite have the bandwidth or the capacity to be both mindful of, for instance, driving and paying attention to this experience. And so the next piece is, is really having noticed it, can you perhaps, and this is, this is a big piece of what I did with the anger, it's like, wow, that's very strong. I have no idea what to do with this. You know, I, I, I don't, I didn't actually really know how to be mindful of it or investigate it. And so I kind of just said, well, I guess I just get on with my day. So there was a kind of, in retrospect, what I see was a kind of a, a, a gentle setting it aside. I wasn't trying to force it down. And the reason I didn't have to force it down was because the mindfulness, the recognition of, wow, look at this, this hurts gave me a little bit of space to be able to say, wow, yeah, I guess I just have to go back to work right now. You know, so I didn't try to repress it. So there was a very, there was a kind of a gentleness with it that the mindfulness allowed, you know, the, the rec the simple recognition of, wow, I'm really angry. <laughs> I'm frozen. I have no idea what to do with this. It hurts. What do I do now? I guess I go on with my day. And so that that meeting of the experience gave me the capacity to set it aside and just go back to what I was doing in my work. So turned to back to my computer and went into that activity. And that actually was helpful in that moment because I do have some capacity and this is different for all of us. And so you may need to turn to something that's that lets you let go of that uh, difficult thing. If it's a strong thing like that, um, you may have to turn to that, uh, to something that's a little bit easier to attend to. And for me, you know, turning to attend to my work, that was something that was fairly easy for me to kind of go into. And so it let me kind of put my attention somewhere else and let the, the anger just be there without uh, having attention to it. And because of that, not giving that anger attention, it began to, to die away. So I, I don't even remember so much what happened next. I just remember, I guess I go on with my day and going back to work. But that itself was kind of amazing because it cut into that being frozen and non-functional and let me go back to being functional again. And so over the, this is, uh, you know, kind of exploring working with something really challenging over the course of the next few weeks and months. I noticed it a lot, of course, you know, I noticed the anger a lot. And I just did this, a similar kind of thing, wherever I'm noticing, wow, here I am, I'm angry, there it is. And what do I do? I guess I just go on with my day. Again, with that very gentle setting it aside and just going on with whatever else I was doing. But there was a turn, I think there was a turning of the attention to the something else. Like it wasn't just spacing out. 
what else I was doing. There was, there was a redirection of the attention. And I think that's an important piece of this process in working with a challenging emotion. It's this not now, it's a kind of a setting aside tool when something's really strong and it's stronger than our capacity to be mindful of it. I kind of like, you know, I bow to it. I see you and not now. I'm going to turn my attention to something else, something that's simpler. And it may be at a certain point in my practice with anger over, and it was a several year process, <laughs> over a certain point with my practice with anger, I noticed, I frequently noticed that would happen when I was taking a walk. You know, when the mind was kind of just drifting and wandering and, and it would drift into that particular situation and that person I was really angry with and it would start thinking about it and it would get angry. So I was no longer paying attention to the walking. I was just lost in the thoughts of, of the anger. And I began to recognize that pattern. And so when I noticed it, every time I noticed it, I would like recognize, yep, there you are. I see you. Well, you can take a walk with me, but... I'm going to put my attention on my feet. And so there was a redirecting. I didn't just go back to the general kind of like, oh yeah, I'm just going to be walking and letting my mind go wherever it wants to go. I let the attention go into my feet. And that actually ended up being a very powerful practice for me. The kind of just the letting go of it, turning to something else, that not now practice. That is a lot of how I worked with the anger in daily life. It was a huge, a huge um, learning about how I don't have to kind of direct my attention, kind of dive into it and figure it out. Sometimes the pattern and habit will begin to weaken with that simple, I see you and you can like be there, but I'm going to put my attention on something else. So we don't have to dive into it. And that was a that was a real learning for me because um, so I had this I have this strong tendency to kind of aim and focus and want to figure something out get stuck to something to pull it apart and figure it out and, you know to get rid of it basically I have that strong tendency and what I found when I tried to do that with mindfulness with the anger was that the the mindfulness quickly got lost and the stickiness of the anger had the had the ascendancy and i was not capable of maintaining the mindfulness in that state and so the not now letting it go turning my attention to something else and what i discovered with that process was that um to my surprise actually um i um that the the pattern got weaker and weaker and weaker. And it, it kind of like, it began to, it began to have more space between the incidents of the anger arising. So this might be something that happens with a strong habit or pattern that you, when you start paying attention to it, it's like, it's everywhere. You see it all the time and in big ways and in small ways and at other time. And then you might start to recognize that, uh, it gets a little bit less frequent. And this is what happened with the anger. It was happening really regularly, you know, every day, every couple days, and then maybe every week, and then maybe every few weeks over the course of a couple of years. This was, you know, this wasn't a, you know, couple month project. It was a couple of years. 
But over the course of the that time, I began seeing, first of all, that there was more capacity to recognize it sooner in the process. I didn't get into those rages anymore. So that the, the kind of the mindfulness began to attune to that experience. And so it caught it much earlier in the process. It was much easier to set aside and get on with my day. And then at some point, you know, kind of diminished and weakened gradually over time. And at some point, my awareness kind of recognized, wow, that hasn't happened in a long time. I became aware that it wasn't there. I became aware that the anger wasn't there and that I hadn't seen it in a very long time. And in that moment, you know, I kind of was thinking about the person I was really angry with because I was aware that I hadn't been angry with that, had that experience in a long time. So I was aware of the person in my mind. And the mind did not pick up thoughts about that person, about why I was angry. I could not even, like, construct. There was no, there was nothing in me that even wanted to go there. It was gone. It was just gone. That was amazing to me. You know, I'd had, I'd had, you know, several really kind of mind-blowing insights around the anger over the course of that couple years. One of which was a kind of a seeing it begin, you know, seeing, and this all in daily life, you know, not in the sitting practice, but all in daily life, you know, in my kitchen, cutting an apple, seeing a thought arise about the person that I was, mad at, seeing how the congealing of thoughts around that thought was leading me in the direction of anger and the mind recognizing, yeah, that's going to hurt and letting it go. So in an instant feeling or seeing the mind not go there. And then, you know, seeing that was, you know, that was a really interesting understanding but also seeing that that didn't like make the anger vanish. There was another couple years of it make the anger go away long term, I should say. There's another couple years of exploring and working with and and meeting it. And so this is a long process. I hope that's not discouraging <laughs> because, you know, what I would say is in that process for me, you know, very quickly within the first couple of months of, of this even a couple of weeks of looking at this, picking this pattern and exploring it. I understood the benefits of doing this. There was a great deal of ease and relief around the, the, the habit. Just the simple, oh, now I can go back to work and set it aside. That was a huge relief to not have to stay stuck in those thoughts. And so there was... There's this uh, saying that the Dharma is good in the beginning, in the middle, in the end. And at the beginning, yes, it was good because it really helped me to not be so stuck. And it kept coming. And in the middle, it was good because I could see it much earlier in the process and, and, and have a way to navigate my life and not be, not be um, pulled into those thoughts. And then in the end, really good in that it's like, wow, that's not here anymore. It's gone, that pattern of anger with that person. That's gone. Really gone. 
So the, the process of it, you know, taking a long time for a pattern to really unwind, what I would say is that if you, if you commit to this, if you explore this, picking something that, you know, you're interested in exploring and understanding and stick with it, you will notice benefits. And that will uh, add some energy and some confidence and some engagement that keeps you get, being interested in exploring that habit and pattern. All of what I'm talking about here can happen in the midst of daily life, but the, the key instructions about that are what I, I pointed to earlier. Just recognize the pattern when it arises. Notice the basic sense of the experience. How am I with it? And the capacity for that also develops in daily life as we practice with it. And the ability to recognize, oh yeah, this is what it's like to feel that. And then recognizing, you know, do you have the capacity to be with it? Or is it, a, is it time to kind of set it aside to kind of move to something else? to put your attention on something else. And knowing when it's time in daily life to recognize it, kind of honor it, say, yep, I see you. Yep, there you are. And then get on with your day. So that you don't have to, like, think somehow that it has to disappear or go away in order for you to get on with your day. Just that simple recognition. Yep, here it is. And to, like, take a breath. And I'll get on with my day. With a less intense pattern from myself, I'll talk a little bit about how a less intense pattern unfolded. Uh, Impatience for me was a pretty strong uh, habit of mind. And I knew that I was impatient in big areas. You know, I think one of the first times I really felt it with mindfulness was at the end of a three-month course at the, you know, the last couple weeks before the end of a three-month course. There was such impatience for that three-month course to be done with. It was so painful. It was so unpleasant. It was like, well, this is a big thing I've done. I want to see what I'm like on the other side of it. I don't want to go through this transition, you know. So there was this this real kind of big impatience. And it was familiar. I knew impatience a lot. Uh, I recognized that even from childhood, you know, that kind of impatience of, of big things like the start of school or the ending of school, you know, just like not wanting to be here because I want to be on the other side of this. And it often for me had to do with transitions, you know, something about a transition, going from one place to another, one thing finishing, one thing beginning. There was an impatience around that. So I, I kind of knew that side of things. And so at a certain point in my practice, fairly, you know, maybe five or eight years into my practice, I really got curious about this pattern. So I had more skill with the mindfulness and uh, began to just, you know, begin to be curious about it. And what happened with that pattern was that I noticed first the really obvious ways that I was impatient, you know, things around bigger transitions. But then as I started to look, it's like, oh my gosh, this is like shot through everything that I do. Little flares of impatience. While I'm brushing my teeth, I'm impatient to have this finish so that I can get on with the next thing that I'm doing. While I'm showering, I'm impatient to finish it. Before I get in the shower, I'm impatient to get in the shower. It's like everywhere. When I open a drawer and it sticks a little bit, impatience flaring there. 
it was like everywhere. It was humbling, but it was also fascinating to see how this pattern that I thought of as connected with big things, big transitions, was also connected with a lot of little transitions. You know, the transition about brushing my teeth. <laughs> you know, there's, it's like, I have to do this now, but what I want to do is get on to the next thing. You know, that kind of a, a sense of transition. And so I began to be really curious about it. And I pointed to something I saw earlier, which was when I got impatient, um, I noticed that my actions got kind of jagged. And so at one point I was in, I was in um, the drugstore uh, shopping and I noticed the impatience arise there looking for things and trying to find things and wanting to get done with this. And I had better things to do than be at the store shopping. All of those, those thoughts were there. So, you know, that's kind of how I recognized, I began to recognize the impatience partly through some of the thoughts that were there. I pointed to that in the guided meditation too. It's like, I got better things to do with it than this. Okay, well, I do have to get these things. I mean, this is <laughs> this is a part of my day. So, um, and so I noticed that what was going on there was that I was like picking things up off the shelf and throwing them in my basket. So there, there was it was expressing itself. The impatience was expressing itself physically. So I noticed that with mindfulness. And there was a little bit of capacity to continue with the action that I was doing, which was shopping. I didn't have to like stop and stand in the middle of the store and close my eyes and think, okay, impatience, what does this feel like? I was continuing to do my my shopping. And I was noticing how it was affecting, you know, how's this impatience affecting me? I'm throwing things into my basket. So it was leaking out into my behavior. And so I decided to explore the possibility of smoothing out my actions even as I knew the impatience. So not repressing the impatience, but kind of seeing. And the way that I express this in a general instruction is, can you see if uh, um, uh, an emotion or a feeling is leaking out into your behavior, either your physical actions, an expression on your face, something that you're saying, is it leaking out into your, into your behavior in some fashion? And can you not repress the feeling, but not act on that feeling? So with the impatience, the way that kind of played out is I felt, wow, this feeling of, I want to get done with this, but I slowed down my movements. I consciously would pick things up and place them in the basket instead of throwing them in the basket. So that just slowed my body down a little bit. It wasn't even a lot. And there was this interest in exploring how can I be with this feeling without it leaking out into my behavior. And while I did that, you know, and, and you know, it was kind of, it, it felt like magic in some way, but I know it's mindfulness. I mean, mindfulness feels like magic sometimes. Within about a minute of that exploration, of slowing down the body, but being curious about the impatience, the impatience just let go. And I was just still in the store doing my shopping and there was just an ease of, oh, this is what I'm doing. The impatience was extra. So this is another um, kind of way in which to explore our 
emotions, habits, patterns when, when they arise, looking at how they might be leaking out into our behavior. You know, brushing my teeth. Am I like really scrubbing my teeth? It's like, you know, maybe I can just do this gently. <laughs> so how is it affecting you? How is that mind state affecting you? And curiosity about that. And not having to hold on to the mindfulness. So those are kind of broad uh suggestions with a few examples from my own practice of how they worked. And I'm curious uh, if there's any questions or comments or reflections on, on what I've offered. Anthony. Andrea, I have a question between uh, the the first stage, so to speak, and then the the one you said that uh, could take you know takes a longer process to not let those thoughts of that person uh, hinder you or kind of get you caught in that uh, whirlwind, so to speak. Um, they both seem very um, kind of like a, a powerful tools. That first stage. Kind of, I got a sense of that um, you're you're aware of it, and it 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 by being aware of it, it, it diminishes. You know. Well, being but, aware but, of it and potentially, like that very beginning piece was, this is happening. Wow, that's painful. So it was just that basic, like, yeah, this is happening and it hurts. So that acknowledgement, and then a turning my attention to something else that I could attend to. So in my case, there was enough capacity at that point to like the the mindfulness had broken into the pattern, that rage, and given me enough space that I could say, wow, I don't know what to do with that. But what I can do is go back to work right now. And in the moments before, I was not able to go back to work because I was just consumed. And so the mindfulness gave me the space to do that. So it's not just the, it's not just the mindfulness. There is a little bit of the, you know, kind of choosing to turn the attention to something that you can stay with. That, that's at the, that's at the beginning with those real whirlwind kind of patterns. Anything you want to follow on about that? Uh, yeah, well, the the third one, uh, so like you said, later into uh, the more of like the once it's uh, well developed, I think you mentioned that um, the thought would cross your mind and you wouldn't even it wouldn't even bother you, so to speak. You wouldn't even put time. Uh, how do you you get what I'm saying? Kind of you wouldn't. You're, yeah, you're, later. Well, later on. Um... I did notice, so that like with the anger, there's, so there's different ways it unfolds. So I'm trying to describe, you know, whole variety of ways that this can happen with something strong, like the anger for me was very, very sticky. So if I tried to be mindful of it, then the stickiness got overwhelming in a way. And, and then I wasn't able to stay mindful. So I quickly, I, I learned that, at a particular time in my practice for that particular pattern, I could see, I'd notice, yep, there it is. And I'm just going to turn my attention and take a walk. It was not at all hard to do that, to, to disengage from it, because there had been enough capacity to, 
to turn the attention to something simple, like putting my attention on my feet. So that capacity had strengthened. The other place in the middle that can happen is like what happened for me with impatience, where there was more capacity to be with the experience while I was engaging. So while I was in the store shopping, I didn't have to redirect my attention and say, I'm not going to pay attention to that impatience. It's too sticky. I was able to, wow, there's that impatience and that feeling of, wow, I just want to get out of here. And can I slow my, my, um, my movement down? So there's two different kind of places in the middle that depending on how sticky the pattern is that you might be working. You know, if you can be with it while you're engaging in what you're doing, that's great. I mean, you know, it's, 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 there's a lot of learning that can happen there. And sometimes if we try to do that, we just find ourselves lost in the pattern, you know, lost in the anger again. And that's what I discovered over and over again when I tried being mindful of the anger as I was doing things. Um, was that I would just get stuck in it again. And so I did this redirecting of the attention. And it was it got easier and easier, as I said. It got easier to say, yep, there you are. You're my old friend, and I'll be back. You know, I'll pay attention to you when my mindfulness is stronger. I kind of made a bargain with it in a way. And I never had to because it disappeared when I wasn't looking. Uh, Impatience, you know, impatience maybe is like the deeper undercurrents of where anger springs from. I don't know. You know, I think it's it's kind of a similar flavor or pattern of not liking what's here in in that form of impatience. I definitely had the form of impatience. It's like I want to get done with this because I don't want to be doing this now. Um, you know, that was my flavor of impatience. Some people have impatience of like, I want to, I want to get to that thing. Cause that's going to be so great. You know? So that's the greed f- flavor of impatience. My flavor of impatience was more the Im- aversion flavor of impatience. And so, you know, at this, the, the impatience quality is much deeper and is more kind of, uh, you know, I don't get that kind of anger so much anymore. It's been a long time since I felt anger like that really long time. Um, but the, the subtler flavors of it, you know, they bubble, they kind of hang out. And so there's a lot of capacity now to be with, with different flavors of that, um, that kind of aversion. And, you know, there's going to be a long process of, of exploring these things. And I just find it interesting. And the other piece to recognize, too, is at a certain point when we recognize a pattern, like impatience, for instance, you know, when I notice a pattern these days, it's like, oh, there it is. I don't have to be caught by it, you know. So there's some joy, there's some delight there that is with the pattern, you know, with the being, with the, with, with the awareness of it. And that really supports and nourishes the, uh, the process too. So it's not all about the suffering, you know, it's not all about trying to get rid of the pattern. It's also kind of about cultivating that quality of mindfulness and the delight of understanding what's going on in our minds. Thank you, Andrea. I, I understand uh, now a lot better where you were. Uh... Thank you, Anthony. Thank you. Tom. You're muted still, Tom. Okay. Um, hi, Andrea. Um, I, I follow you regularly on Audio Dharma. I normally can't be here. Um, I was here this morning for the meditation. And in the middle of the meditation, my wife came in and said that uh, 
her best friend had just received, has just gone into hospice. She's been, we've known that she's had cancer for some time. Um, and she's also a dear friend of mine. And um, so it's uh, to apply grief to the, you know, anger and impatience. Grief is another issue that will come along. It will be very strong um, for her, especially, and also for me. And then over time, it will presumably gradually um, soften. Um, but it's a different kind of feeling than anger and impatience. But I, I can apply it. I can apply everything you've said, as well as your Nirvana um, teaching of last week. Don't continue to throw um, logs on the fire. Um, so, uh, you know, we all face grief of one kind or another, and I thought maybe you could comment briefly um, on that. Thank you. Yeah, grief is a, um, a powerful emotion, and, you know, it's connected. It's deeply connected to love often, right? I mean, it's it's connected to how we care for ourselves and each other's and the, the situation we find ourselves in, the vulnerable situation we find ourselves in. And so the, um, um, the, the curiosity around grief, working with it in very similar ways to what I described with, I mean, the, the basic tools that I've talked about, can you just know, how am I with grief? You know, what is the feeling there? The broad feeling, the diffuse feeling. Grief is a pretty diffuse feeling often. It comes with some constrictions and contractions often, you know, a throat or, you know, wetness or tears in the eyes. So there's some specific feelings, but there's what grief really is, is that broader feeling. And so, you know, connecting with that and the kind of waviness of it, the, the, the shifty, changing nature of it. And then often with grief, too, there's some resistance to that truth of vulnerability. You know, so there's a piece of it that's like holding on. No, this is not right. We should not be vulnerable. This should not be happening. So there's a piece of that that's happening. That's where a lot of the pain with grief comes from. I think is the resistance to the um, the nature of experience, the nature of life, and so noticing that part. What I've seen around grief is that there's there's kind of that part that's resisting the truth, resisting that this is what's happening. You know, it's our mind de- denying reality. Basically, it shouldn't be like this, and so that's a piece of the grief. But the other piece of the grief is just the feeling of connectedness and care and sadness and sorrow about somebody's suffering, about the loss that we're going to experience. That's connected with the meta qualities of our heart. And so that, that experience in my, in my um, exp- exploration around grief, and I use the word sadness for those feelings, you know, the feeling of loss, the feeling of care, of connection, of you know, that just that, that, that heart that understands the truth and the connection and that this is the way it is. It doesn't feel like all joy and light there. It, it, there's the, the, the heart feels the pain, feels the, the, the ache of that, but it doesn't feel it in a constricted way. It feels it, the way it feels to me is it's just pouring through. It's not like sticking anywhere and tearing at the heart. It's just pouring through. 
And that to me is more the, the wholesome side of that whole pattern. And so, you know, the, the opening to the grief in the whole will begin to show you the places where there's the stickiness, the tightness, the resistance that shouldn't be like this. And where there's the heart that is, you know, touched by that vulnerability and able to be soft with that vulnerability and how that feels. <laughs> 